this morning, <clears throat> we're going to talk about and actually finish in one session the intercessory ministry of the Lord Jesus, connecting it to the intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit. For you see, in the ascension of Jesus, he ascends to the throne of heaven to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's also anointed for the role of high priest to be our eternal intercessor. And so as our intercessor in heaven, we also have an intercessor on the earth. And typically, interestingly, we don't connect the two, do we? How many of us connect the two, the intercession of Christ with the intercession of the Holy Spirit? These are tandem. They go together. They are unified. They walk. They work the same work. They focus on the same purpose. One is from heaven before the face of God representing us, and one is on earth in us taking us to the throne of God in his work of intercession. So this morning we're going to do this and finish this and next week. <clears throat> and again, I always ask for your prayers because I, I, don't, I can't do this without the Holy Spirit direction. I can't do it. And I wouldn't, I, seriously, I wouldn't dare to do it. I wouldn't be a teacher without that. There's no way I'd be doing this. But be praying for next week and whether it's going to take one or two or three weeks, I don't know. We're going to be talking about Romans 8.30. Remember the five words that we talked about, the theological underpinnings or foundations of our faith. He foreknew us. And those whom he foreknew, he, what? He predestined. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm getting over this thing, I hope. So we begin next week to talk about glorification. So be in prayer that the Holy Spirit will give me what he wants me to say about that. Okay? So this morning we're continuing. And the two basic scriptures that we're going to be referencing come from Hebrews 7, 24 and 25, mainly verse 25, and then Romans 8, 26 and 27. You'll recognize this when I quote them. Now, so we've already seen <clears throat> that Jesus, as I said, has ascended to heaven and has been crowned the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But he's not only the king, but he's also our royal high priest, having been given anointing and authority by God to represent us forever before the throne of God. And so he does this by being our eternal intercessor. And so we see that he has, our divine high priest, has authority to be our intercessor. We see this in Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will change his mind, not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. <clears throat> now, who's speaking here? Who's speaking here? God is speaking to Christ. This is one of those messianic psalms 
that are extremely important in understanding Jesus' ministry, who he is and what, he, what he's done. And so this is, a, this is a, a, a word out of the word of God that comes forth from eternity and is applied and made real in a time frame. And so in Genesis 14, you remember Abraham coming back from the war where he and his 300 and some odd men defeat these kings. You remember that? Okay. And Abraham comes and he meets this very strange man called Melchizedek. He's called the priest of El Elyon, God Almighty. And he is said to have with no beginning of days, nor ending of days. Now, what does this mean? Here's a human being that was never born and never died. Well, no, that's not what it means. <clears throat> it means that there is no record of his beginning of days and no record of his ending of days. Why is that so significant? Because, you see, it speaks about the high priest who will come into the world, who will literally be the one who has no beginning of days, correct? He has always been. And who literally will have no ending of days. And so he's a type of that high priest. And so the prophecy is this and the promise is this. That you, whoever this person is, and we know that it's the Lord Jesus, you will be a high priest after the similitude of Melchizedek who is shown to be an eternal high priest because of no beginning of days and no ending of days. And so in the earthly ministry of Jesus as a high priest, he's redeemed us to God through his blood, correct? He's finished that work. Ephesians 1.7, in Christ we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our sins and trespasses. That high priestly work is finished, never to be repeated. There is no such thing as a continuing shedding of the blood of Jesus. No such thing. The blood of Jesus has been shed once and for all, absolutely and eternally efficacious for saving, forgiving God's people. It's not something that is needed to continue to happen. It is something that has happened, never having to be repeated again. Now, in his heavenly ministry as our high priest, Jesus intercedes, intercedes for us before the throne of God. Hebrews 7, 25, the last part of it. He always lives to make intercession for them. And so, in this intercession, and it is this ministry of intercession that is the reason why the Holy Spirit is sent. You see, the Holy Spirit is not sent automatically. God has a means and a way, an orderliness to his work. He's not just kind of helter-skelter doing, okay, Jesus is risen, he's sitting on the throne, and Holy Spirit, he goes ahead. But there is an orderliness to it, and it's an orderliness that is according to that which has already been promised in Scripture. And so as our intercessor, you're one who what? stands between us and another, taking our place and representing us, whether in actions or prayers or whatever, as our intercessor, intercessor, then Jesus now must send the Holy Spirit. And this is promised that he would do that in Psalm 2.8. Do you have Psalm 2.8 listed in your book, in your outline? And the word says this, again, 
God speaking to the Son. Ask of me, ask me, ask me, and I will give you what? The nations as your heritage. Ask me. Now, what does the word ask mean? It has to do with intercession. <clears throat> it has to do, if you would, praying. Now, what I think we need to remember is this. I don't know. Now, maybe Phil does. He's an elder. I don't know the exact mechanics of how Jesus intercedes for us. I don't know that. But I don't need to know. What I need to know is what? That he does intercede for us. You see, I told you Phil was here. He's awake. He just woke up. Liz just knocked him. Good morning. And so I don't believe that Jesus is at the throne of God the Father kneeling down and praying and say, Father, please do this, please. I don't believe that's it. I believe the intercessory ministry is more about his representative life before the throne of God as the risen, accepted, holy, blameless man in whom God's love, God's image, God's nature and character are fully displayed. And we are in him being represented the same way. Amen. And so I believe that's that. Now, is there communication between the son and the father? The son as his, to his humanity and God the father? Well, of course. But how it works in the intricacies and the aspects of it, I wouldn't have the foggiest idea. So we're not going to talk today, which we could do, about he does this, 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 and this. But I just felt Holy Spirit, hopefully, to lead me in a more general direction. And so Psalm 2 eight, the Lord says, look, ask me, and I'll give you the nations. Ask me. So in keeping with his heavenly priestly role, Jesus intercedes and asks God to keep that promise. When he rises from the dead, I don't know whether it happened this way, but I'm going to put it in my terms. Father, you promised, and now I'm asking. Okay, can we say it that way? Did it happen that way? Don't know. And so this is what Jesus promised, remember, in the upper room. And hopefully these three scriptures are shared with you. In John 14, 6, he says this, I will ask the Father. Now, when is he going to ask the Father? Now, be careful. When is he going to ask the Father for a helper to be with you forever? He's going to ask the Father really in his priestly prayer in John 17 in a very general way. But he's going to ask the Father as a result of his ascended, glorified, exalted position as King of Kings and High Holy Priest over the household of God. He's going to ask the Father, will you send the Holy Spirit? Then in John 14, 26, Jesus says this, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things. So we know that it's Ultimately, by the Father's authority that the Spirit is sent. But get this. The Father will not send the Holy Spirit through the agency of the Son's authority. He will not send the Holy Spirit through the agency of the Son's authority until or unless the Son of God, as to his humanity, asks the Father to do so. 
And so had Jesus in heaven not interceded for us, had he not asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit, do you think the Holy Spirit would have been sent? Yes or no? No, he wouldn't have done that. But you see, the Trinity is united in the will of God, the one will of God. And all three persons carry out the same will, but through distinctive roles. So the will of the Father is the same as the will of the Son and the same as the will of the Holy Spirit. And that one unified, undivided will of God is manifested through the three roles, the role of the Father, the role of the Son, and the role of the Holy Spirit. And this is how God does everything. He never does anything through the unilateral or only through one person of the Godhead. He always does everything through what? All three God persons of the Godhead working in tandem, in unity, through particular and distinct roles. That's why the Father isn't incarnate and is crucified. That's why the Holy Spirit isn't said to initiate salvation. These are distinct roles that the three persons of the Trinity, some kind of way, have decided or have always been, I don't get it again, but this is how God has always presented himself. And this is the eternal, unchangeable God. And so the helper is going to come from the Father. But then in John 15, 26, Jesus says, when the helper come, comes, whom I will send, where does Jesus get the authority to send the, Father, uh, send the Holy Spirit? Because he's asked what? He's asked for it. Let's make sure we get the context and how this works, because I think it's extremely important for us to understand how this works so we can understand how we relate to God and how we are to relate to one another and to lead and minister to one another. Jesus has the authority to send the Holy Spirit, not on his own prerogative as God the Son in human form. But as he has received this command from the Father, okay, this is the way God is. And so you see this eternal, incredible, loving submission within the roles of God. Do you see that? Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm the son of God. I have authority, and he does. He has innate authority in himself as God the Son to send the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't exercise that authority. The Holy Spirit has innate or indwelling authority because he is God the Holy Spirit to come on his own. But he doesn't do that. And so there is a community of cooperation. <clears throat> there is a giving and receiving of authority, of function. And the amazing thing is, as I've said before, the deference of God, the deference of these three holy God persons, that they would do it this way. They don't grasp. They don't grasp. They don't, you know, whatever, lord it over one another. They are in perfect union and perfect cooperation with one another. And isn't that what the church is supposed to be displaying? Amen. When it comes to 
the way we serve and how we serve and what we serve and when we serve and who serves and what. It's all about reflecting this intra-Trinitarian relationship of love and roles through this cooperation within God. There's no theology on earth like this. Why? Why? This is the truth and everything else is a... You can say it is what? I mean, if you ever read 1 John, he says, they're liars. Can you imagine the preacher today standing up and saying, those people don't receive Jesus. They're liars. And we would say, oh, wait, brother, you're not speaking with grace. <laughs> I'm afraid if we had Paul the apostle in the, in, in the pulpit sometimes. Some of the things he said, what he said, I don't know whether a lot of churches would have him back because he so lacks grace and, and, and care and, and how to say it in a way that is, don't read Galatians and think you're reading a man who is just filled with sweetness. I mean, I don't want to say a few things here, but there are some rough comments this man makes. Can you imagine that, Frank, from the pulpit saying that to the people of God? We would say, <laughs> uh, turn off the microphone. Uh, Paul, thank you for being here. Never come back. <laughs> so Ephesians 2.18, through Christ as our intercessor, we all have access to the Father. And we have access to God. Why? Because Jesus is our intercessor who brings us in himself. We are in Christ who brings us in himself before the very presence of God the Father. And the Son does this as to his humanity. We are represented in the humanity of Jesus. And this heavenly man stands before the Father, as I said before, as holy and blameless, as righteous, as absolutely perfect in all of his way, completely representing and imaging the image of God the Father. That image now being set in the Son, Jesus Christ, this heavenly man, in whom the Son dwells by nature and the humanity dwells by nature forever. What, what a mystery this is. And we are represented in him. So he brings us as Jesus has personal, intimate, forever fellowship with God the Father in love. Can you imagine what kind of fellowship he experiences with the Father? Can you imagine the love of the Father upon this man? Can you imagine that love that is in this man from the Father being given back to the Father? Can you imagine what must that be like? That's the same access that we have to God the Father in him, through him, because of his intercessory ministry, correct? That's what we have. God is not, nor should he ever be, distant from us. He is closer to us than our own breath. Someone said that in another way. So it means that through the intercessory ministry of Jesus... And the tandem, cooperative, same intercession of the Holy Spirit from a different perspective in us. We have 
two things I want to emphasize. And when I say I want to emphasize, I genuinely mean I feel this is the Holy Spirit. So I don't take credit for this. Don't ever say that. We have, what does this access mean? I'm sorry for waking you up. It's okay. Go back to sleep. We have access to the Father. What does that mean? Critical, critical, critical. We have union and communion with God. Okay? We have union and communion with God. This means that through the intercessory ministry of Jesus, we have been granted fellowship with God the Father. Only in this man, Jesus Christ, do we have fellowship with God the Father. Now, you may remember when I said that, I am kind of quoting a whole lot of what Jesus said. If you love me, you love the Father. If you don't love me, you don't love the Father. If you receive me, you receive the Father. If you love the Father, you love me. If you receive the Father, you love... And it's intertwined. We're speaking about two or we're speaking about three distinct persons, yet we're speaking about them as one. We're speaking about three distinct persons, but we're speaking about them what? As one. You see, we as a church, all Christians, we have to make sure that our understanding of God is Trinitarian. Three distinct divine persons, but as one. For Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. The only one and a unified one. Three is one. And so, 1 John 1, 3. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you remember what 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says? Extremely important verse. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. I don't think it's in your, in your notes. For God is faithful who has what? Brought us into the fellowship of Jesus Christ, his Son. We have fellowship with God, but that fellowship with God is in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now, which one is more important? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Well, of course not. Which one is to be adored? The Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? All of them. Well, which one is to be worshipped? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, which one is to be spoken to? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we don't make more of one than the other. If we do that, God himself is not even doing that. So another very important verse you might want to make sure you know, you probably already know it, is 2 Corinthians 13, 14. I don't know if that's in your verse. And Paul sums up that letter by saying what? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... The love of God and the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So you see how he connects all three persons of the Trinity to our union in the one person or the one being rather of God. So our fellowship is with the Father is furthered and developed by the intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit. We are in the Father because we are, I'm sorry, we have fellowship with the Father because we are in the Son, and that fellowship of the Son is kept, we are kept before the Father because of the intercessory ministry of the Son. So we are kept in vibrant, continual, unbroken, unfettered communion with God the Father as God the Son ever makes intercession for us. Amen. That is a communion that is a, 
accomplished, a union rather, union, sorry, union that is accomplished by him and cannot be broken and will never be altered. Did you hear what I just said? It is a union that is accomplished in Christ and maintained and guaranteed in Christ because he ever lives to make intercession for us. Remember Hebrews 7.25. And that union, that joining together can never be broken and is never changed. Now somebody should say hallelujah because what happens in our lives is things stuff happens and when stuff begins to happen what do we begin to think am i still if you would let me use a worldly term uptight with god you know I me mean? david am i still in the same union when stuff goes on that union is a forever maintained union and it can never change if it changes that means that Jesus' ministry has changed. It can only change on the basis of the intercessory ministry and the ever-enduring life of the Son of God. That's the only thing that could ever possibly alter our union with God. Do we see that? We must make sure we say, oh, I know that's good theology. Yet we go out of here tomorrow and something happens. Ah! And we begin to think, something's happened. And we begin to think, I've fallen from grace, or I won't be saved, or I'm not going to have. The union that we have in God is guaranteed in the eternal, everlasting work of the intercessory ministry of Jesus Christ. That's essential. If you don't have that, you're not standing on the rock that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7. Stand on the rock of ages. And that rock ain't going nowhere. And ain't no man going to put his hand on that rock. Do we see that? That's our union. But here's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 8, 26, and 27 of Romans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Ah, there it is, you see. I don't know if I can continue in union with God because of my weaknesses and my sin and my failures. Come on, come on. How many of you think that? Come on, come on. Let's be truthful. Come on. We feel it. Feeling is different than actual truth of it. You may feel separated, but the truth is that we are never and can never, ever, ever be separated from God because we are kept and maintained before the throne of God in unity by the ever-enduring presence of the Son of God who intercedes for us. Do we get this? So don't allow your feeling to be a statement of truth. Feeling, yes. But there's a whole difference between feeling something and what is real truth, correct? So he intercedes for us in our weaknesses. Ah, there it is. There's our problem. Weaknesses. And we don't know how to pray as we are. We don't know what to pray for. I mean, I have so much going on. I mean, I have so much wrong with me. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. I'm confused. I'm, I'm outdone. How can I keep doing the same? What, what, what's happening? And I don't know. You know, sometimes people think this is only once in a while when we're confused. I think it's a continual 
regular way we live. I don't know whether any of us know really how to pray as we should apart from the Spirit. Can any of you do that? You see, the Holy Spirit is not just one who is interceding from us with the big issues of life. Oh, where am I going to get my job? Oh, Holy Spirit. But before then, nah, I know what to do. I know how to do this. I made this. I did that. What are you kidding? Not even Jesus lived that way. The Son of God himself on earth. John five nineteen and 30 tell you that. I don't do anything on my own what? Initiative apart from the Holy Spirit. Nothing. What does that mean? Nothing. When Jesus said nothing, what does it mean? Nothing. So the Holy Spirit is... <clears throat> Holy Spirit is ever, constantly, continually, unrelentingly, unstoppingly praying for us, interceding for us, presenting us in our weaknesses and maintaining us, encouraging us, correcting us, leading us, adjusting us, maturing in us, our communion with the one in whom we have union. You see the distinction. A massive distinction. The Holy Spirit never stops. And he doesn't do this once in a while when you think you need him. For every beat of my heart and every breath that I take and every blink of my eye, I am saying, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. Amen? And he never stops. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit doing that for every believer on earth at one time? I mean, he's intelligent. You see, we have a person living in us. A person. A person who speaks to us regularly and he speaks for us regularly. Is that correct? The problem with us is that 99% of the time we don't even recognize it. Well, you know, I had a thought the other day. Oh, really? You had a thought? Really? You know, I've been trying to think this out, and I think I finally decided how to do it. Really? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? You had a thought. Whose thought do you think is ministering? Whose reminders are ministering to you? Whose you know, alerts or telling you a warning, don't do this, don't do that, go here to, you know, what about that? Have you thought of that? Did you forget something? Oh, I just thought that was me. Well, Steve, it is you, but it is the Holy Spirit in you saying something to you. Don't leave the house yet because your keys are still inside before you shut the door. Oh, I didn't know that was God. God, the Holy Spirit, if you allow me to say it this way, never shuts up. You see, you think I'm wordy. Oh, man, I don't know anything. He doesn't shut up. And I say, thank God. Thank God. Having a comp- well, let me say it the rest of the way. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. 
because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, there's a lot to say about that, but I didn't feel to go into the details of these passages. So you just argue with God about that. If he wants me to, I'll do it. Having accomplished our salvation, now Jesus is a high priest in heaven whose intercession keeps us in the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is now also in us whose intercession keeps us in the experience of our salvation. Jesus' intercession keeps us in union. The Holy Spirit's intercession keeps us in communion. Do we see the distinction? Our union is set and never changeable, but our communion fluctuates. Have you noticed that your communion with God changes? How many of you have ever noticed that? Only four people have ever noticed that? The rest of y'all are perfect. Yes. Our communion fluctuates. I mean, it could fluctuate when you're feeling bad. Yeah, that that affects it. It could fluctuate when someone says something mean to you, and now you're all down and upset. It could fluctuate, or whatever. It, It is bombarded. Our communion with God is bombarded every moment of our life. This is the essential area of Satan's, the world's, and flesh attack is within the context of our personal, continuing, vibrant, up-to-date, strong, maturing communion with God. The Christian life, I'm going to say it this way, it's going to sound funny, is nothing except communion with God in union in Christ. That's our Christian life. The Holy Spirit comes to us and brings to us the reality of our union in a communing way. And now in the Spirit, we are brought before the presence of God the Father in Christ, who is our union maker, if you would. And we have fellowship with the Father. We have fellowship with the Father because of the communing presence and intervention of the Holy Spirit on our behalf on a regular, continual basis. Let me close like this. I want to comment about our union, communion with God, and I think I have time. In Christ, the Spirit has brought us into eternal communion with God to experience what our union is all about. In the Spirit, we are experiencing communion with God, which is the experience of what our union in Christ with God is all about. Our union in Christ means that we have become partakers of the divine nature of God himself. Where do you find that? We've been made partakers of the divine. We have become partakers of the divine nature. Where is that? 2 Peter 1, 4. Extremely important. In that verse, you have summarized the whole essence of what God is all about. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 21. Partakers, communion, union with God himself. This means that our union with God is not affected by us. I want to say it again. I've said it before. But we have to get it. Our union with God is not affected by us, what we do, how we do it, why we do it, when we do it, nor is it affected by any circumstance whatsoever. It is the result 
of the constant and unchangeable intercessory ministry of Jesus Christ. Do we have that down now? So when life caves in on you this week, do not question your union with God. Why? Because there is a man in the heavens who ever makes intercession for us on our behalf before the Father, ever representing us as one in him with God the Father. And there is one on earth now who is dealing with us in relation to our infirmities and weaknesses so that we are kept in communion with God. So that the union that we have with him in Christ may be manifested to all the world through our communion with him. as we also commune with one another. So that communion with God that we have in love is to be spilling over and spilling out, if you would, within the context of communion within the church. <clears throat> you see, God's love for us is the same. Do we have that verse? Is that in there? Is the same. Make sure you get this. God's love for us is the same before he loved us. And that's in a time frame because he's always loved us. And continues to be the same throughout our lives. Remember, his is an everlasting life. What I love. What does that mean? It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It doesn't alter. His love is static, if you would, in, in, in relation to change. Malachi 3, 6. I am Yahweh. I what? I don't change. There's nothing about the nature and character of God that changes as to the essence of who God is. And God is love, 1 John 4, 8. And so the love of God doesn't change. We experience it differently, ebb and flowing because of us, but not because of who God is. See, by communion is meant our experience of his love, not the fact of his love. I was going to read this, but I won't read the whole thing. I'll just say this. I think one of the most lovely examples of our communion and union with God is in Luke 15, 11 to 24. Remember the prodigal son. Quickly, you know the story. You may have seen the movie. The father has two sons. <clears throat> did you just hear what I just said? What did I just say? The father what? Has two what? Sons. What does that mean? These men are in union with the Father. This is not a proverb or whatever of how to be saved. He has two sons. These two boys are united to their dad because they share the same life. That's the first thing to get. Two sons. Too many people miss that point right away. And they're talking about, well, how to be saved and sin if you don't sin. But oh, that's not what it's about. It's about union and communion with God. Two sons. So one stays home and is a dutiful son. And the other one goes out. He's a profligate. He's a man. He gets the, what, the uh, inheritance. And wine, women, and dance. You didn't know I could dance. And so... There comes a time when all the money runs out, and when the money runs out, the wine and whatever, the women run out, and here the boy is in the pig pen. He's in the pig pen eating the pig poop. Well, that's where he is. Remember the husks? He's in the pig pen. Then verse 
17, a marvelous verse. Luke 15, 17, a marvelous verse. This is what I pray for people regularly. And he came to his senses. <gasps> what am I doing here? Holy Spirit does that through his intercessory ministry in this boy. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. Do we see it? This is what's going on. I will what? Arise. I will repent of my sin and return to my father. Now, that's communion, the work of the Spirit. But what's happening is more important. Because what is behind this, this ability and this activity of this boy to come to his senses by the Spirit. Charles, he just didn't wake up one day. Man, I've got to go home. I'm in real bad shape. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're praying for someone, pray John 15, 17 for them. Father, by your spirit, bring that person to his or her senses and whatever he or her needs to be brought to the senses. But what's behind it? Behind it is a father standing on a hill because that son is his son in union. There's a father standing on a hill. And every day, he's looking. Now, we know with God, he, what you understand. And one day, he sees the figure of an emaciated, filthy, ragtag person coming toward him. And he's looking, and he's looking. And all of a sudden, he realizes, that's my son. And because of union, the father runs to his son. Throws the robe of the father around his son. Places on him shoes and gives the son his own signet ring. This my son was Remember, lost, dead. Communion. Communion, not salvation, communion. He was lost to me, communing me. And he is dead, but he is now what? Alive again. We're back together. Did the son's filthy, horrible, nasty, degenerate, hateful, whatever minister, uh, work, uh, uh, lifestyle, change the father's relationship to him as a son no the union was never touched it cannot be touched because if it can be touched that means that jesus christ himself changes it was the communion this is the intercessory ministry of christ and the holy spirit we have a high priest in the heavens whoever represents us as unified and joined together in union in himself before the throne of God, kept eternally on the basis of his own enduring humanity. Can't be changed. It's, it's static. 
It's static. It can't be altered. The Father's love doesn't ebb and flow. It's constant. And then we have one, if you would, his partner. On earth, the Holy Spirit, who is working in tandem with the unity to bring us into a greater experience and joy and manifestation and maturity in that unity so that finally, Romans 8.28, 8.29 is, is accomplished. We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. So keep these two words together. In heaven, Christ maintains our unity. On earth, the Holy Spirit in his intercessory ministry maintains and develops, etc. what? Our communion. Union, communion. Not unity. Union, communion. Okay? Next week, we'll talk about the glorification.